Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to church on this Palm Sunday. We are kicking off a short little two-part series today called Deconstructed Faith deconstructed faith. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with that phrase or not. It's become really all the, the rave uh, lately as people have began to follow in the footsteps of uh, some pretty high profile Christians who have began to, to kind of grow a little bit discontent with God, a little bit discontent with, with their faith. They've begun to kind of kind of tear apart and to take apart what they've always known and were taught as a kid. And, um, and ultimately what has happened for many of them is they've left the faith and they've left because they struggle with this tension. They struggle with the tension of what they were, were always taught as kids as it related to God, the Bible and church and, and what they see through their eyes in the world around them. Now, I do want to go on record in saying that, that not all deconstruction uh, is bad. In fact, uh, Jesus actually did a little deconstruction of faith in Matthew chapter 5 in his famous Sermon on the Mount. You may remember kind of this phrase that you have heard it said, right? And Jesus would begin to kind of, kind of talk about some of their, their beliefs, some of their rules, some of their practices. He said, you've heard it said, and then Jesus goes, but I say like it is a deconstruction of what they knew faith to be. And Jesus was like, no, it ain't that, it's this. And, um, and I think about that and I think about um, this journey that many people are, are, are experiencing, this deconstruction journey. I think of Jesus doing some deconstruction. I even think of like coming on the heels of the news that we received this week about, about Ashley and, and just to think like how, I mean, this was a girl that when she walked into a room, you knew it because I mean, just the radiation, the, the, the light, the, the personality, like it was too big for a room to fill and, um, or to contain and, and to think about such a tragedy that happened this week with her passing away. Um, I mean, I can't help but to be asking some of the same questions that, that her family's asking, some of the same questions that her friends are asking, like, God, why, why would you let something like this happen? Like, God, how, how can you actually be compassionate and loving like the Bible says you are and still allow such tragedy to happen in our lives? Maybe for you, it's not that dramatic, but it's severe. Maybe for you, you, you prayed for a friend that had a sickness and you prayed that God would heal them and they never healed and, and they ended up passing away. Maybe for you, it's a marriage that, that you had, had built up and you thought this is, this is the one and, and it ended up not being the one. Or maybe for you, it's, it's the loss of a business. Or maybe you've prayed for your kids or your grandkids who have been struggling with drugs and alcohol. And you just, it's been one of those prayers that you've prayed for years and years and years and years. And, and nothing seems to, to ever change. You've prayed, you've quoted all the right scriptures, you've done everything you know to do, but you're still struggling 
to make ends meet month to month. I mean, the reality is for all of us that it doesn't matter how spiritual we think we are, that we all have expectations on God. We all expect God to do certain things in our life and what happens when he doesn't do them. Like what happens when our built up expectations don't happen? We find ourselves in this gap. We find ourselves in this kind of ugly, cloudy, dark gap between what we thought or hoped God would do and what actually happened. And friend, it's usually in that gap, the gap between what we thought or hoped God would do and what actually happened that we typically began to deconstruct our faith. And so when we find ourselves in that gap, what do we do? Like, what do we do? What do we need to know in order to deconstruct in a way that, like Jesus deconstructed, that draws us closer to God rather than deconstructing in a way that our society right now is deconstructing, which pulls us further away from God. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about today. I've, I've entitled today's message, Microscopes and Telescopes. Look at somebody and say, microscopes and telescopes, microscopes. And telescopes. Well, uh, if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 21 today. But, um, but say this with me uh, out loud as we prepare our hearts today. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Matthew chapter uh, 21, we'll get there here in just a few moments. But But I heard somebody say once that the best way to avoid disappointment is to not expect anything from anyone. The best way (laughs) to avoid disappointment is to not expect anything from anyone. Um, I'm not sure how realistic that is, but uh, it kind of sounds good. But the reality is in all of our lives that we have the script right? Like we, we have this script. We are writing the story of our own lives. We have this script that we expect our lives to follow. And when God doesn't follow the script, when things don't kind of turn out in our lives the way that we hoped they would or thought they, they would or thought they should, What begins to happen when that happens, when God doesn't meet our expectations, is it begins to wreck our theology. It begins to wreck who we've always known God to be and who we've seen God to be in printed form in the Bible. And honestly, nine times out of 10, that is the root cause of every deconstruction journey because they've assumed that if God really loves us, that nothing bad would ever happen to us. That is the assumption of the 21st century follower of Christ. That if God really loved us, then nothing bad would ever happen to us. But friend, I'm going to tell you right now, and it's not because I want to, but I'm going to tell you that is further from the truth. That if you read the Bible, you see way more stuff in the Bible helping you know how to navigate difficulty and pain and disappointment and anger in your life. 
Like I think about what Jesus said in John 16. He talked about like in this world, you and I are going to have what? We're going to have some trouble. We're going to have some tribulation. But he said this. He said, take joy. Why? Because I have overcome the world. In other words, we're going we're gonna to experience some pain in this world, but our joy is not found in that going away. Our joy is found in the one who overcomes all of that. That's why it says in Psalm chapter 50 that we are supposed to call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. Like, like we're going to have trouble in our lives. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells us this, to deny yourself and take up what? Your cross. Deny your, yourself. Like he's saying, it's not, this life is not about you. It's not about your happiness. I think about the followers of Christ in Jesus' day and after Jesus' day. The ones that were committed to Christ were the ones that endured through hardship. These were the ones that were being hung on a cross upside down. These are ones that were being dumped, you know, hot oil on their bodies. These are ones that are being whipped. And so it helps us have a little perspective of the difficulty that we face in our life that there has never, ever been a promise that our lives would be absent of that. The promises have always been about how God helps us get through that. I saw this um, somewhere, it says this, that what derails us most in life is when the picture in our head of how things are supposed to be, right, doesn't come to pass. The expectations that we, that we have in our life, our expectations on one another, where's the greatest disappointment that we experience relationally with, with our spouse or with our kids or our coworkers. It's when we have expectations and those expectations aren't met. And that same, that same thing happens in our spiritual walk with God, that we've got these expectations on God and what wrecks our theology and wrecks our faith is when it doesn't happen the way that we thought it should happen. But here's the, here's the interesting thing is that that is a journey that you and I don't have to walk all by ourselves. It's a journey that, that we are not the only ones. We're not the first ones that have had to, to, to deal with the tension between what we've been told about God all of our life and what we see with our eyes. I mean, it was this very tension that the Jewish people were feeling as, as Jesus got on the donkey on that first Palm Sunday and began to ride into Jerusalem on his way to the cross. And I want to show you, I want to unpack that a little bit today. Look with me in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says that as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, that they came to the town of Bethpage, the Mount of Olives that Jesus sent two of them on ahead. And verse two, it says, go into the village over there, he said. And as soon, now watch this, as soon as you enter into it, that you're gonna see a donkey that's tied there with its colt beside it. Look what Jesus says. He says, untie them and bring them to me. And in verse three is priceless. Watch verse three. If anyone asks, what are you doing taking the donkey and the colt? Just say, oh, the Lord needs them. <laughs> Just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Now, um, 
I thought this week I would test that scripture out in Walmart parking lot and it didn't work so good. So don't be rolling up to people saying that the Lord told you that he needs your vehicle. Um, didn't work. Um, in verse six, it says that the two disciples did as Jesus commanded, like, like for somebody here today, that's all you need. Like just do what Jesus is saying in your life, right? In verse seven, they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd began to spread their garments on the road ahead of them. So they're taken off. Um, I'm, I'm just assuming that they've got extra gar a couple layers of garments on, or this would be an ugly scene um, happening right here. But they begin to take their garments off and they're laying them down on the road ahead of them. And others begin to cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I mean, can you picture all of this like, like chaos and all this stuff happening on the road? And verse nine says, Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God. Praise God for the son of David and then over here blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord and over here praise God in the highest heaven. And it says in verse 10 that the entire city, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he begins to make his way in and they're like, all right, who's this dude? Like what is all this commotion all about, they asked, and in verse 11, it says that the crowds replied that it's Jesus, it's the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, that last statement that the crowd said is a statement that it would be so easy for you and I, when we're reading through our Bible, right, trying to check off the list of, of reading our passage of scripture for the day, that we would kind of read right past that and not catch the severity of that statement. But in order for us to be able to grasp the weight, we've got to recognize, see, there is an expectation in that statement, and we've got to recognize where that expectation is coming from. So from the crowd's perspective in this moment, you've got to recognize that about a hundred years before this day that Caesar Augustus, the, the brutal leader of the Roman Empire, had invaded the Holy Land and completely taken over. The Caesar ends up putting a man named Herod in charge. You've probably heard of Herod um, around Christmas time, right? And through violence, this is what Herod, Herod does. He brings the people of Israel under his control. Now for the Jewish people, they had been clinging to this promise that was some 500 years spoken earlier than this moment. This promise of a better day that we find in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 through 10. And this is the promise that the Jewish people had been clinging on to. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you, that he is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Sound familiar? Like, like that's what we just read in Matthew 21. Now look what this king is going to do for them. In verse 10, it says that I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem, that I'm going to destroy all the weapons used in battle, 
and your king will bring peace to the nations, that his realm will stretch from sea to sea and from Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And so these these Jewish people have been holding on to me, think about 500 years, like think about that is like generation after generation after generation. That's like, that's like when, when I sit around um, the table, Andrew and I sit around the table at dinner time with our three kids and we're talking to them. Listen, I know life is rough. I know you're facing hardship and difficulty, but there is a promise of God that a savior is coming, right? And then we, we die and pass away and my kids over their families are sitting down around the, the kitchen table and they're saying, listen, there is a promise that has been spoken and that their kids are, there is a promise and it just goes from generation to generation and to generation. And so there is this sense of, of expectation, expectation of when Jesus arrives, that they are looking for this savior that's gonna overthrow Rome and bring back all this justice and peace in their lives. Now, keep in mind that Herod knew all about this promise, right? He knows all about this promise. Keep in mind that Herod was in charge before Jesus was ever born. So what do you think Herod's gonna do when he receives the news that a king has been born, what's he going to do? It says in scripture that he orders that every Jewish infant under the age of two be killed. See, Herod's goal is to try to kill the promise before it ever comes to pass. And what ends up happening is that Herod dies. The Jewish people see that as their chance to kind of rise and regain their freedom. And then they start a revolt. And in this revolt, Rome responds with overwhelming force by sending soldiers into Jerusalem to stop the rebellion. And so how does Rome teach these Jewish people a lesson from them trying to overthrow? They publicly crucify 2,000 people along the streets of Jerusalem. So for the Jewish people, these are people that have endured all this hardship while holding on to the hope and the anticipation of this coming Savior because the picture in their mind is that when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, that he's there to what? To drop the hammer on Rome and to restore peace in the land. Like, in other words, like everything, life is gonna get back to normal again, right? But instead what happens, what we see is that Jesus ends up wrecking their theology because Jesus isn't there to overpower Rome, he's there to overcome sin. So picture this moment from Jesus' perspective as he begins to ride in, that he's riding in on a donkey and he's gazing upon all of these faces around him. He had been in their homes. He had healed their, their sick family members. He had taught in their synagogues. He had performed all of these miracles. He's looking in the eyes of all of these friends and family members who, who had loved ones who were crucified in the streets of Jerusalem, who had loved ones whose babies had been murdered. I mean, can you imagine for Jesus the emotional weight that he had to be carrying 
hearing all of their cheers, but deep down knowing that he would have to disappoint them temporarily in order to save them eternally. I mean, seeing their excitement and knowing that in just a few days that these same people would deconstruct their own faith by demanding his crucifixion because the expectations they had on Jesus went unmet. I mean, that's the very reason why the same people that cheered him on were the same people that were shouting and demanding his crucifixion because they had this idea of what they thought Jesus should do and the disappointment of their unmet expectations ended up wrecking their faith. See, the Jewish people wanted victory over Rome, but Jesus wanted victory over sin and death. You see, there was so much more to the story that God was writing in their lives than they could see in the moment. And as a result of that, they ended up missing out. You see, they failed to realize that the same thing that many of us failed to realize, that look at this, that God loves us too much to give us what we want. Oh, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Hold on, that kind of rubs me a little wrong in this 21st century Christ follower relationship, right? Like God loves me too much to give me what I want. I mean, doesn't that sit like kind of, kind of, kind of weird? Like, like how can, how can he love me so much that he's not going to give me what I want? And it kind of makes me think about my relationship with my kids, it makes, me, it makes me think about like all the things that they want in life and experience and to understand that what they want is momentarily or momentary versus what I know they need long-term in their lives. And so for me as dad, there's times that I say no, there's times that I correct in the moment that they don't understand because they don't have the foresight to see further than the moment that they're in. And I think about this in our, the context of our relationship with the Lord. That so many times we struggle with our faith, so many times we begin to deconstruct and tear apart and And we allow difficulty to to kind of begin to cut away and to erode away the trust that we have of God in our lives because we build up all of these expectations on God. And when we find ourselves in the gap between what we hoped for and thought should happen and what actually does, it wrecks us spiritually. I mean, Jesus showed us in Scripture He showed us in scripture that that there were going to be unmet expectations as we follow Christ. Many of us, we read it and 
We struggle to accept it because it doesn't fit the script that we're writing for our own lives. But when you look at a verse like Isaiah 55, verse 8, and it says that my thoughts are nothing, they're nothing like your thoughts. I mean, catch that for just a moment. Like they're not even in the same ballpark of your thoughts. Like when you sit back and you think, well, maybe, maybe God did this because like, it's not even in the same ballpark. He says that my ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. Like your wildest dreams don't even come close to touching God's ability and his foresight to see the greater impact of what we walk through and experience in our lives. I like to think of it like the difference between a microscope and a telescope. And what happens for most of us with our faith as we look at every hardship, every struggle, every disappointment, every broken relationship, everything in our lives through a microscope, not the greater good, not the greater impact, not a kingdom impact, but how does this impact the script that I'm writing in my own story? And then when it doesn't fit, when it doesn't fit, then we begin to deconstruct the faith that we've grown up in. We begin to deconstruct what we, what we read in the Bible and we begin to, to rationalize things out in our lives versus understanding that we're short-sighted beings, that God is a long-sighted being, that God is a telescope kind of God. Like you can look at a telescope and look out into the galaxy and see galaxies and galaxies in a microscope. You can see just nuances of what's in front of you. And maybe that's why he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know, I, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. That they're plants for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in our microscope view of that, our short-sighted view of that, we're like, let's go. Like, like yes, my life's going to be good. Yes, I'm not going to have any disaster in my life. Like, everything about my life's going to be all about the future and the hope. <sighs> but what if... God sees that promise as an eternal promise, not an earthly promise. What if God sees that through the lens, the telescopic lens? What if he sees that more so that the good and not disaster is less about circumstantial and what we experience day to day in our life and it's more about eternal at the end of the day? Where are we going to spend the rest of eternity? At the end of the day, where are our kids going to spend the rest of eternity? Our friends, our coworkers. God has a vision. His vision is to bring salvation to all the world, not just to give us a good life. You see, Jesus recognized. He recognized on this first Palm Sunday what, what you parents and what me and Andrea recognize as parents in our own life. That these people, that what they wanted and what they needed were two different things. And so because 
of God's great compassion and his great love, what does he do? Jesus disappoints them temporarily in order to save them eternally. Like any good, loving parent, God decides that he's going to love us too much to give us everything that we want. And so how do we manage that tension? Like, how do we manage the tension of, of everything that we've learned about God and this view, this short-sighted view that, that if we face difficulty and hardship and loss and suffering and sickness and all these things in our life that it's not that God doesn't love us and it's not that God isn't real, but how do we deal with this tension of the fact that God loves us so much that he's not going to give us a perfect life? What good is faith? What, what faith is there if we never face difficulty and have to trust in the one to get us through? And so I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when, when we've got some things that we hope for, some things that we thought God would do, and, and we find ourselves in the gap between that and what actually happens, I think at the end of the day, that we can hang our hat on Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six, that says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out. Why? Because his ways are not our ways. Like it's far beyond what we could ever imagine. Like and our wildest dreams don't even start touching what God sees and his vision and his plan for our lives and the people around us. It says, listen for God's voice. Listen for it in everything that you do and everywhere that you go. Like, like all of a sudden I'm facing hardship and I'm facing difficulty and I've got all these questions that I don't have answers to. But when I go to the supermarket, I'm looking for God. God, what are you saying? When I go to work, I'm looking for God. When I go to church, I'm looking for God. Like I am, I'm listening. I'm looking for God wherever I go. And the reason why is because he's the one He's the one that's going to keep us on track. Friend, I think what's being said there is we got to get rid of the microscope and get the telescope and begin to look for God in every area of our life, despite the pain, the disappointment, the discouragement, the hurt, the loss, the sickness. Listen, friend, if we're going to deconstruct anything in our lives, we should be deconstructing our faith in ourselves, our faith in our ability to write the script for our life, our faith in our ability to know what's right and wrong, our faith in our ability to know what should happen and shouldn't happen in our lives. Because at the end of the day, despite the greatest hurts and disappointments that we may feel, despite the many times that God's not going to meet our expectations, this is what I want from my own life. I would rather have hope and an all-powerful God than certainty and a very limited me. My friend, that's why 
That's why I've learned in my own journey that when God doesn't meet our expectations, that we gotta quit asking, God, why did you let this happen? And we gotta start asking, God, what can I learn as I walk through the valley, the shadow of death? Like, God, what do I need to learn as I walk through this difficulty in my life? Because the truth of the matter is this, is that we live in a sinful, fallen world, that God's promise God's promise is to help us through it, not to insulate us from it. You see, neither question, God, why did this happen? And God, what can I learn through this? Neither, neither one of those questions will change our situation and what we're walking through. But the second question is the only one that has the power to change us. It's the only one that has the power to turn my eyes from earthly to the eternal. That it allows what was meant to harm me to actually end up helping me. And it shifts my attitude from victim to victor. Father, we thank you for your presence that's here today. God, despite the news that we got this week, despite what some of my friends are walking through and what they're facing, and God, none of that stuff is downplayed. But Father, through all of that, when we find ourselves in the gap, when we find ourselves in a space of deconstruction, Lord, give us the power, give us the know-how, Lord, to deconstruct like Jesus, which draws us closer to God, rather than deconstructing like the world, which pulls us further apart. Lord, I pray over every one of my friends today, that maybe they're watching online, maybe they're listening to the podcast, maybe they're here in the service today. And God, the weight of the unmet expectations that they've been carrying in their lives, Lord, I just pray your peace over them today. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help them to trust in you, to look to you in everything they do and everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.